All Up In Your Business, the creative industry podcast where we dive deep inside the work that seems oh so glamorous from the outside. I'm Gabby Hall. And I'm Christine J. Fian, and we've combined forces to share our more than 20 years of expertise, research, and tips on how to make this whole creative journey worthwhile, whether you're a writer, photographer, designer, developer, producer, or manager. Let's get into it. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode six, our final episode of the first season of All Up In Your Business. We are psyched you made it this far. Are you surprised we did too? I'm a little bit surprised. We're going to take a little creative pause after this episode to come back to you in season two with even more insight, special guests, and of course, ridiculous stories after a bit of a break. But today, we're here to talk about a very hot topic. And that's what diversity brings to creative teams. And this is a particular passion of Christine's right now. Yeah, I mean, diversity, it's such a loaded buzzword these days. And I think the first thing that we need to do is talk a little bit about what diversity as a word means to us in the context of this episode so that it doesn't move too far into, let's say, like a politicized space, which happy to talk about on our, our own time, but we have a very focused intention for this episode, which is how diversity is going to contribute to creative teams and bring out more creativity and innovation in groups of people. And in that regard, for me, diversity really comes in thought, perspective, values, and background. You have certain traits that are inherited, like ethnicity or gender, age. That's not inherited. You just grow, but you know, you end up having an age and sexual orientation. But then there's also things that we gain from our life experiences, like our cultural influences, education, socioeconomic status and circle. And like all of that ends up shaping a person's identity and also the way that they think, the way their brain operates. So, you know, I also believe very truly that the more experiences people have where they have to step outside of their comfort zone and grow and and challenge, uh, you know, their beliefs then the more unique their perspective might be when they end up working in a group and also how much compassion and expanded capacity that they have for other people. So that's really what diversity means to me. But what does it mean to you, Gabby? I would agree with you on all fronts. I think in my experience, those are the places where you see the most like butting of heads and exchanging and ideas and ultimately like the best ideas come forward. So I think that's really important. But I think when I think of diversity, not so much in meeting, but in practice, I see like everyone wants it, but it's one of the most difficult things I think to achieve. And when when you think about it from an inclusion perspective of workplace culture, it's even harder to actually do an execution, you know, know however you define diversity. And I think that's one of the things that's on my mind as we go into this conversation. I am lucky and also challenged to be working in human resources right now in Norway, which is a very homogenous society. There are obviously immigrants from a wide range of countries, but fundamentally, it's the first time I've been in a cultural experience that to me feels narrow. I don't mean that in like a, a negative way, but it's fascinating because when I talk about diversity in the workplace in Norway, most commonly people just think about gender. Like, oh yeah, we have a really diverse workforce. We have almost 50% women. Hmm. And I'm like, all of them are like culturally Norwegian women and you're all men from this country. And 
there are lots of immigrants and people that are living, especially in Oslo, it's a, a cosmopolitan city. So yeah, I'm really pushing for uh, an expanded view, I think, of, of diversity here to really ask those questions like, did everyone go to the same university, which is like one of six universities here? Or does everyone pretty much grow up in the same, you know, socioeconomic, you know, band or status? Like, yeah, for the most part, kind of. So it's an uphill battle in a, in a way that's a lot different from the U.S., in the context of Norway, and obviously knowing that you went through the hiring process recently, I mean, would you consider yourself a diverse hire at your company? That's the insane thing. Okay. I am not a diverse hire at my company because my company is global and it's awesome. I work on a multinational team and I'm interacting every day with people from 18 different European countries. Uh, I love everything about it. But I was a diverse hire in Norway in general. Like, I frequently got told I needed to become more Norwegian to fit in. Definitely got told I had to learn the language, even when English was the working language of the company that I was interviewing at. I got told that I didn't understand the unspoken social code, which really freaking hard to learn when it's unspoken. <laughs> it's just said through blinks and like it's not, it's angsty said stares across cafes. Yeah, it's said from, I just don't return your call anymore. So ghosting. So, we know that in America. That's called ghosting. Yeah, and I actually, I'm so thankful. There's an American guy who works as a venture capitalist over here, and he wrote a book called Working with Norwegians. Um, <laughs> wow. Not, again, I'm going to say this like a million times. I'm not trying to offend. It's just different, right? And when you don't totally. grow up here and you don't come from the environment and the culture, like, I'm sorry, but it's not like this necessarily outside of here. So it's really hard to pick it up quickly. Even though I ski and I look like I could kind of be Norwegian and I can speak English sort of funny now, like they do. But yeah, I was a diverse hire as a white American woman with two master's degrees. That's really interesting. I think the, the differences in workplace, to your point, America... In general, I think we like as a society think of ourselves as like a melting pot. Some places are more diverse than others, as we all know. But I have to imagine like, yeah, if a Norwegian individual or someone from any other country comes to the U.S. and is trying to learn our workplace environment, it could seem pretty ridiculous, too. Like I think about the fact that in my office, sometimes we have like Nerf gun wars and people will dry, fly little drones through the office. Like there's kind of some weird, quirky American things that... I'm sure it don't happen in every office culture around the world. You know, I think one of the most diverse teams I ever worked on was when I was at the FIS and my immediate team surrounding me, we had one Norwegian, one Austrian, a German, a Frenchman, and then my other closest colleagues was a Swiss woman and a Canadian guy. Like we really were a mini United Nations and everyone had all kinds of different educational backgrounds. There was a trained electrician and an architect who somehow had found their way into working in professional sports. And like I said, my, my company right now, I'm, I am so used to being around people that come from a multitude of backgrounds that for me, that's just completely normal. And anytime I end up now in a space where I look around and everyone looks a little bit too much like me and talks a little bit too much like me, it freaks me out. I was hanging out with two Americans last weekend and I was like, oh my God, no, this is too much. 
We all understand <laughs> each other. Wait a minute. I want some cross-cultural confusion. <laughs> I, I love that you say that because I was just thinking back to when I was working at ski racing. It's a very similar situation, obviously, because we were just on different sides of the fence of the finish area. <laughs> but it is a really interesting thing. The way you even interview someone changes based on where they're from, how they approach the English language, the types of words that they understand, the way that they speak, and some of those like social norms. And that's something you don't necessarily know right away. Like as an American, I will totally attest to the fact that I think I can be a little pushy, although frankly, so can all journalists in the Finnish area. So grain of salt on that one. But I think I can be pushy and a little bit over eager. And I think there are definitely other cultures that are like a little more relaxed and chill and may that may come off as aggressive. And so kind of always being aware of how you're being perceived and being a little bit self-reflective is always really helpful in those situations, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think that both of us, given our experiences, we have a sense of what good management looks like in in cross-cultural environments. But before we kind of get into those tips and, and tricks, I always like to talk a little bit about some of the strongest creative teams that I see operating in the world. And for me, a major influence has always been the work that comes out of IDEO. And for those who are not familiar, IDEO is a design and consulting firm that is in Palo Alto. It was founded back in 1991, and they kind of, to this day, use the same principles of design thinking to uh, help create products and services and experiences for a lot of major companies uh, in the U.S. And, and globally now. And their organizational culture, like they operate in these project teams, and what's super cool about them is they're not all designers. So they're consulting on design and building, but they're not engineers. Well, some are, but they're not all a team of engineers. They're not all a team of designers. They're really famous for inserting people with these like really funky backgrounds into their teams. So we're talking like anthropologists and social scientists and historians. And they put these groups of people together and they're able to handle like everything from business design to product design and A to Z and in between. So I kind of feel like I look at IDEO as this ideal example of the cool stuff that can happen when you're able to really expand your idea even of what a person looks like in order to do a specific job. Absolutely. Yeah, we have a guy at the company I currently work for, and he does a lot of analytics, conversion rate optimization, things like that. Just incredibly smart numbers, dude. Like He builds formulas that people around him literally say are impossible. And I'm not I'm not kidding when I say that. We had a situation with a client where they wanted a certain metric. He talked to like every professional in the industry, every expert that's ever been in that field. They said it couldn't be done and he did it. So like freaking smart guy, background in mechanical engineering, not a digital marketing background from a degree perspective. And I think those individuals think differently and bring something so different to the table because they are able to think outside of the constructs that maybe we've set for ourselves. Like I have a journalism background. I've always been a writer. And so it does make you aware of like, what blinders do I have or what restrictions do I not even see in myself that might be limiting my diversity of thought? Yeah. And then like, I mean, in addition to the anecdotal evidence that we have, there are massive consulting firms that are researching this in order to give advice to, to big business and organizations. And McKinsey came out with a report in May of 2020 called Diversity Wins. And this makes an incredibly compelling business case for the relationship between diversity, 
specifically on executive teams, which is what they were studying, uh, and the financial output that companies have. And they looked at over a thousand large companies in 15 different countries. And in order to capitalize on diversity within your teams, which you know a lot of these companies already have, they realized that it's like it's not enough just to have a wide representation of backgrounds on teams. Each person actually has to feel like what they're contributing means something, that they're being heard. Mm-hmm. And that's the inclusion piece. But if these companies had gender diversity on their executive team, they were 25% more likely to have above average profitability than the companies that had, you know, sort of fourth quartile representation of gender diversity. Whoop, whoop. Love that girl power. I know you always hear about like companies with female CEOs crushing it. And you're like, oh, I wonder why that is because ladies are awesome. But anyway, I digress. And there's obviously (laughs) diversity outside of gender. So, you know, if you look at the case of like ethnic and cultural diversity, the business case findings are, you know, equally as compelling. Uh, In 2019, top quartile companies outperformed those in the fourth one by 36% in profitability. So we see huge benefits across the board in terms of all kinds of diversity. And then there are advantages of working on diverse teams and tons of research that shows the increased collaboration, effective communication, the sort of well-rounded representation of skills that we were sort of describing. If you get people that have a lot of different backgrounds, it's not going to be like, oh, a bunch of writers and nobody can figure out the numbers, right? Oh, we're all word people. Who's going to go build this Excel spreadsheet and figure out our budget? You're way less susceptible to complacency with diversity in teams. And then also people will work harder to be inclusive of all from earlier in a process than waiting until there's like infighting or disagreements in order to try to to collaborate and come to joint conclusions. Absolutely. I think about this a lot when I think about past jobs of I ha- where I was working with people who were very similar in thought or background to, to what I was doing. And then looking at where I work now, where a core part of how we work is in pairing writers with designers, with performance marketing, sort of analytics people, with project managers, account people, and having all of those minds together to figure out like, how are we going to get a project done? What is that going to look like? And how are we going to come up with the best possible solution? that serves all of the needs that this client has, not just, I need a page of content for my website. And it looks at it holistically. And yes, sometimes in that process, people butt heads because every person has their desired outcome or their their desired process. And it definitely requires empathy. It requires collaboration. It occasionally requires compromise, but it also can result in like the coolest thing you've ever created. So it's important to like know that butting heads can come respectfully and ultimately end up in something really cool. Yeah, I always think about the difficulties that I did have with the FIS when it was hard to find common ground on a team where everyone was from a different country. And in in a way, there can be almost too much diversity. If you lose any sort of connection to be able to find that collaboration or that compromise, you know, you only really see this if every single person on a team is coming from like such a different background that there's no way to to really mend the gap. But, you know, we don't want that to deter people from considering to build diversity in the first place. It's definitely an extreme case. And in my situation on the FIS, uh, luckily we had a ton of respect for each other and a long history of working together. So 
any culturally specific responses that we started to have to troubles we were able to iron out. But I do remember one time in Slovenia, we were on this insanely tight schedule because a race had to be, it had to be moved to a different venue at the same time that my coworker's mother had unexpectedly died. And so he had to, you know, go to the funeral arrangements for that. And I went to help set up the finish area and sort of do his job so that we could get a step ahead before he was coming back after this funeral, which was like terrible. And the organizers, they're all these Slovenian guys, like they knew how tight the timeline was. And I rolled into this little resort village and I was ready to get down to work and do this job like I'd literally never done before. And they were like, no, 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 no. Uh, no one's doing any work until you come sit and drink coffee with us for like three hours. And we tell you all the stories that you missed of what happened here for the past year. And, you know, I just at the time remember thinking like, oh, my God, all I want to do is get my work done. And this is such an American way of thinking about it. But I drank my coffee and I completely screwed up the building of the finish area. And my coworker <laughs> came in. <laughs> the next morning and he said who did all this crappy work <laughs> and somehow he got it fixed in time and everything <laughs> ended up being fine but the moral of that story is like yeah you can be almost too respectful of <laughs> of cultural differences uh when stuff's got to get done like sometimes maybe only one coffee and then get out there and <laughs> get down to business not three hours worth of coffee and then jittery finishing of the building area or the finish area yeah i mean i'm gonna guess at some point some liquor probably came out too sure no that never happened that never happened no one drinks on the world cup tour it's all very sober (laughs) there's no special secret stash that came out that didn't happen at all but i mean to your point there's actually research to back this up that there is kind of a point of diminishing returns with diversity and creative teams and creative teams need to be able to at the end of the day find common ground find common solutions and i know you found this really interesting research from the harvard business review that you'd like to talk about yeah sujin jang in a 2018 article from hbr called The Most Creative Teams Have a Specific Type of Cultural Diversity, found that you can overcome the fights that occur from conflicting norms and differing assumptions between you know, members of highly diverse teams. If you insert a cultural broker or you have somebody within that team who can serve this function, and essentially you need a person who either comes from both of the multicultural backgrounds that you're trying to bridge the gap between, or a completely independent third party that doesn't have the same uh, assumptions or the same necessarily norms or beliefs. And, you know, cultural brokers, they're like these team members that can be really multinational in their past experience. And they're trying to point out like, yeah, we're, you know, you're bringing in a belief that this other person doesn't necessarily have, or oh, we don't all have the same level of education or we're not all developers, okay? So we don't speak your developer speak like we need to talk in, <laughs> we need to talk in creative person speak or <laughs> we're, not, we're not all like videographers. So we're not all super focused on the shot or the angle or, you know, let's just try to find, you know, where we can overlap and what we do agree on. And the teams that, had somebody that could act in this role, they were significantly more creative as a group and more effective in their work. 
that's really interesting. I feel like the role of the cultural broker has to be so challenging because you really have to come in with like just an open mind and the ability to like see all sides of the equation. But so critical because I can think of very specific past experiences where I'd be like, oh, it was really nice when that individual stepped in and sort of like paused and said like, hey, I think this is where the disconnect is happening and did it in a way that was like kind but effective when things were kind of spiraling out of control. And so I think consciously, maybe either deciding to be a person who can be that kind of broker role or whether it's like as a company deciding that like in those multicultural meetings, you're going to make sure that you have someone who can be in that role of mediation would be a really wise decision. I consider myself a cultural broker and I frequently end up in multicultural meetings at my job right now where people are actually agreeing and they don't even realize it. Hmm. Yep. I've seen that happen before a lot. So I'll say, hang on a second. Like we're not actually disagreeing or not even me. Like you two people are talking at each other as if you're not agreeing, but actually you're saying the same thing at each other antagonistically. (laughs) I was in a meeting last week where that happened. And I was one of the people being like, yeah, I hear what you're saying. That's what it looks like. But it wasn't like it literally wasn't translating language wise and wasn't translating like structurally in this deck we were putting together, even though in my mind, like that's how I was interpreting what he was saying. And it's just weird when that happens, when you're like, at the end of the day, we're working towards the same goal. We are basically saying the same thing, but we're using like a couple different phrases or like we have like one specific vision and like, I can't read minds. You can't read minds? It's not... Yeah, it hasn't come yet. You know, it's kind of like my Hogwarts letter. I'm still waiting for that skill to develop, but we'll get there. That's at the top of my resume. Key skill, mind reading. (laughs) Did I oversell myself? (laughs) No, no, that feels accurate. I mean, maybe only my brain. Like you might need to be specific, but yeah, it feels legit. We're pretty, pretty good at reading each other's brains. Other brains, nah, that's when I'm pulling out the tarot cards (laughs) and the horoscope. I have no idea what's going on in anyone's mind other than Gabby's. The magic eight ball. Probably going to ask Google. Maybe Siri if I really need help. The magic eight ball you can find online. And there's like 20 different versions, websites you can go to. Some you can type the question into. Some you just like shake the magic eight ball. Why do I know this? Because I frequently ask the magic eight ball. And when it doesn't give me an answer I like, I click on the next website. (laughs) Ask again. It's it's the same as you would do if you had just the magic eight ball in your hand. Only it's like tossing the magic eight ball out the window. Nope, this one's no good. It's not giving me the right answer. We'll just move on to the next one. This one has bad juju. Go to a different URL. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that's give that a try. If you're looking for, you know, a deep answer and the Ouija board is not available. You've, you've got the, all the magic eight ball sites. Of course. Luckily, though, we're not going to make you go to a Magic 8 Ball to learn a little bit more about how you can have a more diverse and inclusive culture. Look at that segue. It was so good. Anyway, we digress. When your company or team encounters barriers in innovation and in creativity due to lack of diversity or too much diversity, and you need to find that middle ground and that perfect formula, we have a few tips that we want to share in terms of things you can consider for your own company or just kind of in your life, I think, I think in terms of diversity and your creative community, like we talked about in the last episode. 
Yeah, our first tip is my passion project right now, which is convincing people everywhere to increase the hiring of diverse team members. And in this, I really push people to think beyond the diversity in the narrowest frame possible and consider somebody that even has a less obvious resume. Speaking on behalf of all liberal arts graduates everywhere, give them a chance. They studied a lot of different things once upon a time. And then the call for our generalist friends. As a non-specialist, I really, really want to give a shout out to generalists out there. The type of people that Gabby was describing earlier where, yeah, maybe they're a mechanical engineer, but they've got a passion for marketing hacking or some other learned skill trade. And then it's always good to consider that diversity alone is not going to get the job done you are also going to have to take inclusion into consideration. And yep. one of the best ways to do that is establish as much psychological safety as you can and push to make sure that everybody gets to speak, has a voice, and then that that voice is recognized and valued. Gabby, do you have any others to sort of share with our listeners? Yeah, I think when we first talked about wanting to record this episode, I think diversity is a very touchy topic right now. And I think... I would not consider myself personally an expert in this field. And so I would encourage other people to look for organizations that are experts in diversity, work with people who really know how to incorporate uh, inclusivity, diversity hiring into a company, because it's not an overnight change, especially for large companies. And, you know, one specific organization comes to mind called Diversability. So you can actually think about like, disability in the sense of diversity. And that is a diversity that people bring to the table. And Diversability is a great organization started by this woman, Tiffany Yu, who I know through another professional development organization that I was a part of early in my career. And they're just doing incredible things for people with disabilities. And those types of organizations are just incredible resources. So my biggest advice is to go get educated, do your research, and work with organizations I can give you best practices to make this something really effective. Because I was just listening to Reply All the Podcasts. I don't know if anyone else listens to that. And I hadn't listened in months. And they had in February, January, February, come out with a podcast about Bon Appetit and the diversity issues there. And then they only ran two episodes because Gimlet and Reply All came to fruition or came to light, I should say, that they had their own diversity issues as a company that were basically directly correlated to or matching what was happening or had happened at Bon Appetit. And I think for me, it just shows that diversity and inclusion can be done very, very wrong, even if people have the best intentions. Um, and I know this is a bit of a long-winded rant, but I just think it's important to do your research and get support from people who actually understand what it means to be diverse and inclusive versus putting that on yourself as someone who may need to self-reflect and say, we need to be better. 100%. Like we said, this is such a popular topic right now, and it's almost like every single company is claiming to have a diversity, equity, and inclusion policy or practice, yep. and to really create those because that is part of what I'm doing in my work right now. In order to create those, you really have to try quite intentionally to eliminate bias. And it's not the same as just saying, oh, when a person goes into an interview, they're going to try and be less biased. You have to build in automation. Uh, and AI and create systems that prevent people from using their biases in the decision-making process. And mm -hmm. that's the biggest challenge. And that's why it's not just good enough to know about it. You have to know about it. You have to see it happening. You have to set benchmarks 
and have targets for what your organization needs to look like if it actually was diverse. And then you have to start to challenge all of the systems you have in place that led you to get to the type of hiring you had where you woke up one day and realized it wasn't diverse at all. And then you have to break all of that down or prevent it from existing so that you're just continuing to create the same types of teams and the same type of organization over and over again. And to go through that process, it's not an overnight flip of a switch. It's not one person that can come in and and make a change. And it's also not just individual approaches to these practices. It is organization-wide and yeah, oftentimes based on systems. Yeah, absolutely. And I think our last tip, which we haven't mentioned, and this is just a reminder to stuff we talked about earlier, which is that multicultural broker piece. Do you have someone in your organization, someone in your team, just people who are maybe more equipped to be in that role? And how can you empower them to play that role when you are working in creative teams to make sure that you're coming up with the most effective solutions and not spiraling by saying the same things in different ways and then arguing and thinking you're not agreeing because we've all been there. But talking about the same things in different ways, it's kind of starting to feel like that's what some of our episodes are getting into. (laughs) And that's how we know it's time to take a little bit of a creative pause. Yeah, we are going to step away for a while. We're keeping it purposely. A while? That sounds, Gabby, that sounds long. I am not. soon. We'll be back. Soon? Well, soon didn't make sense at the end of that sentence. We're going away for a soon is not a thing. We need to get away. Like everyone, it's, you know, the COVID been holding us down, locking us down. (laughs) We got to get away, got to sail away. We need a refresh. So we're going to take some time off. It's not going to be a whole year, even though we called this season one. It's probably more seasonal. Yeah. Like a season. Exactly. But when we come back in season two, you are going to get all sorts of new interviews, new insights, definitely some more ridiculous stories. I'm very excited to get more guests on the show like we did with Julie earlier this season. What else are you looking forward to in season two, Christine? I am excited to get a little bit more feedback from our listeners. So if you guys have any ideas that we can take into consideration as we start to plan season two, Hit us up, send us some messages. You know where to find us because we tell you every episode. We're not going to go through it again. No, but Um, questions, feedback, challenges you're having in your own career would be great because those are the types of topics we can help you tackle. So it's all on the table. Just slide into our DMs. Oh my God, if we become like a Dear Gabby. (laughs) I would love a Dear Gabby section. Hey, give us a Dear Gabby section. We're ready for it. We're so ready. And until we're ready again, keep it creative. <laughs>